Hey y'all, what's good? Here we are with another day and another episode of the Pilgrimage Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Zaru Fitzum, and we got an awesome guest on the show today. We've got Ruth Buchanan on Hello. the Pilgrimage Podcast. Ruth is a freelance writer. She has written several plays. She's written several books, the last of which was, if I'm not mistaken, Socially Awkward. Um, yeah, and so uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to reading that soon. It's been on my, uh, not on my Goodreads to be read, but on my mental to be read for a minute now. And uh, yeah, so Ruth, Ruth, she writes, she's, uh, she edits, she reads like over 150 50 books a year and she's still making time to invest in people. If you're a writer and you want to, get some consultations with her you can go on buildabetterus.com you can catch her writing on substack on her website or wordpress if i'm not mistaken just all these different avenues and uh yeah ruth is one of my favorite people to follow on twitter honestly she makes me laugh often and she's always always encouraging writers to continue on the pilgrimage journey of writing because you got to continue and that's what the pilgrimage is about so thank you yes. so much for coming on the pilgrimage podcast Ruth what's up I'm excited to be here I love to talk and yeah. I love to talk about books and writing and I love to talk about faith and the whole yeah. thing has been a journey so when you reached out I was like this is so perfect <laughs> I love it. And uh, another thing, uh, I, I've seen you on there. We we also are part of uh, Alicia Aikens' uh, yes, book launch thing book launch. Yeah. <laughs> and so like speaking of like, or loving to talk or write, I got to have uh, Alicia on the show a couple weeks back mm. and we talked about mm -hmm. cross-cultural relationships. And I know like, uh, yeah, it, it's just really fun to get like- She's these... a fellow ex expat. She and I both, that's one of our connections is we're both ex expats man so i i know she's traveled like she's lived in like 12 different places how, mm -hmm. how many different spots have you been in oh well i've only lived in two i've traveled okay. to i think 17 countries but wow. only spent significant time living in china so hey Oh, I can't speak it okay. well anymore. It's been 20 <laughs> years for me. No, that's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> right? Uh, it's it, none of it anymore. Um, make sure, so, make sure, make sure. It's okay. <laughs> so but, have you lived in China too? Uh, for for only about uh, two months, uh, for about okay. two months, actually. And then I've been learning. I have a lot of uh, friends from China who have been like teaching me the ropes. I've been learning like in a really unorthodox way. I'm trying to settle down and like, uh, you know, uh, find a tutor. But I'm 22. So I'm trying to, you know, uh, find the funds and learn how to budget well and stuff. And so the tutor is <laughs> a little <laughs> difficult to find right now. So. I hear you. Well, that's that's I, yeah. I spent time in China in 2004 and 2005, so it's been a while. Oh my gosh! Well, we'll, we'll definitely have to link up a different time, and I would love to yes. hear about your times there. Seriously, I mean, yes, no, for real. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I want to. I want to start off with this question for uh, you, Ruth. As I mentioned before, this is the Pilgrimage Podcast, and a lot of the way I look at life is as a journey. It's not necessarily about the setbacks, the durations, or the triumphs, but the continuance. Mm -hmm. 
because mm -hmm. that's what we do as pilgrims. We are constantly going. And mm -hmm. uh, so, so with that, uh, you being the prolific writer you are, can you kind of give us a 30,000 uh, foot overview of your pilgrimage to becoming a writer? Yes. So you said you're 22, so I'm 43. So oh. I didn't start writing until I was in my 30s. Mm -hmm. I came to it what felt like was late at the time. But looking back now, I realized I really wasn't in a position to write before then. Okay. But I had a 20-year career as a teacher. I taught in middle school, high school, a little bit of university. And I taught storytelling and writing and language for 20 years, um, 14, 13 or 14 in the classroom, and then seven as a private tutor. Yeah. And the whole time I was just absorbing stories and critiquing stories and talking about stories and what works, what doesn't work. Why does this work? Why does it not work? And my kids would always say, Miss Buchanan, when are you going to write a book? I'm like, never. And then we would just <laughs> keep going, you know, and I would say things to them that now I know all writers say to themselves. They say, I'm not really a writer. Mm. I've never written a book. I don't even know how to do that. I mean, nobody knows how to do that. You're literally making it up as you go. Right. <laughs> right. And what makes someone a writer, it's not like you're born with it on your birth certificate. Like, but I hear people say, well, I'm not really a writer, so I can't write a book. Like what order do you think that goes in? Right. Mm -hmm. But I would say all of those things, really believing them. And then I, I think it changed for me in the 2000s. Um, I was teaching and long story short, I wrote plays first um, and I, I was directing a drama program. And that year we didn't have money for royalties for the club. So I thought we're going to, I'm going to find something that I won't have to pay royalties and I have the right number of kids and the right number of parts. And, you know, it's just, I couldn't find anything. So someone said to me, why don't you just write something for the drama kids? And I was like, okay. So I did. And it was so fun and it was so well received that of course, once we did the production, someone said, you should try to get it published. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that, but I tried, I did my Googles and I looked up some companies and much to my shock, as much as anyone, someone picked it up. And then he said, well, do you have any more? Wow. And I was like, not yet. So I wrote <laughs> three. Yeah. Over the course of the next few years, I wrote three more plays. And then it became apparent. I love this. I mm. love the writing process. I love dialogue. I love storytelling. And I think I want to try out a lot of different styles. And that's when I started trying uh, with fiction and nonfiction. I think I wrote four books all the way through before I got my first contract. I kind of approached it like plate spinning. Like I wrote a book and pitched it. And then I, while that one was out being pitched, I wrote and started pitching another one and wow. then another one. And so I was, I had spreadsheets for days of all the places. Each one had been rejected, but I just thought this is the way it goes. If Harry Potter can get rejected like 30 times and to kill a mockingbird can get rejected 60 times, then I can get rejected as many times as it takes. Wow. So I just, well, that led to something we now call Bookmageddon. Because uh -huh. all my books got picked up within the same like short amount of time. And so between 2000, end of 2017 and beginning of 2018, I had five books released within six months. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life because <laughs> they, <laughs> they were all in revisions and edits at the same time. And so I was sending all of these versions of them back and forth with editors at different companies because of course they weren't all with the same publisher. Yeah. And it was just 
the most wonderful nightmare that ever happened. Right. And then at the end of that, I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do that again. And someone said, it's not going to happen like that again. You just do one at a time from now on. Right, right, right. No more <laughs> spinning people, plates. <laughs> yeah, no more spinning plates. But for people who weren't privy, like I didn't tell everyone what I was trying to do because it feels so scary to tell mm. people I'm pitching books. I'm pitching multiple books because if you never get an offer, then you're just a failure, you know, in your own eyes. And so I hadn't told a lot of people what I was doing. So when I started like announcement after announcement, they're like, who wrote these books? Like, When, when did all this happen? Yeah. Well, it had happened over years. So it looked like instant success, but it definitely was not. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not an approach I recommend at that level. Right. I don't think it was a great experience, but the My first, I think what scared me the most was I had three or four books set to release. And before the first one came out, I was finishing and I thought all these books are going to go out without any feedback from readers. Right. So if I'm really off in my approach or my tone or my storytelling, I'm not going to get any feedback to all five books are already finished. That really scared me. Right. 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 There's not like this buffer zone. Like if they all are coming out and just like a inordinate amount of like yeah like that's, that's yeah it so was much. too much yeah, yeah. so but, but you asked for the thirty thousand mile view and that's kind of how it happened for me and it was very unorthodox yeah and so you're here now uh yes. doing uh, what you are with bj and uh build a better right. uh, and stuff how, how did how did you kind of uh get to that part <laughs> of uh being being someone who like helps others uh right write that could love. be a whole podcast i'll try okay. To do it quick. Okay, like okay, BJ, okay. BJ Thompson, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's um, the director of Build a Better Us, which is a coaching network, faith-based coaching network. He and I have no business knowing each other. We have very <laughs> different backgrounds. Um, we have very different, we come from very different places and God just kind of brought us together uh, through a very long story, but I got uh, linked up with BJ and he he's a coach and a life coach. And he basically asked me, what are you doing with your life. Like he figured out, you know, I was telling him about my interests and my gifts. And at the time I was teaching and he's like, what are you doing? You know, Mm. you, what you're, I I never thought it would be interesting to people how much I read. Like, it's a very, like, it kind of takes me away from people. I just go off and read books and, and I read an inordinate, inordinate amount of books. And I never thought that would be interesting to anybody. And he's like, he really helped me realize God made me this way for a reason. And it's not just because I'm strange, you know, there's a reason why I'm obsessed with stories and storytelling and why I have the gifts of relational gifts of working with people and communicating that I do. Those two things could work together. Absolutely. And BJ helped me see that. So he was coaching me actually for a while, one-on-one. And then, uh, then I came in and joined Build a Better Us as a, as a book and writing coach and author coach. And I love it. Every day I connect with writers and creatives and storytellers from all over the world. And I'm usually connecting with them when they are stuck or blocked or um, wrestling with something that they feel, I don't know if it's A or B, and they just need to have a conversation with someone to see, well, maybe it's C, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a third way. Maybe it's not just these two things. Maybe there's a whole fresh take on this. It just takes talking to someone kind of from outside your own head. Right to find the solution. And so I get to do that every day and I love it. Yes. 
Yes, that's no, that's that's beautiful, and that's like a really dope story to see how you got connected. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna go a little off script real quick because there's something I really want to ask you because for me, I really enjoy reading and I love writing mm -hmm. as well. But as mm -hmm. a person who is young and has kind mm -hmm. of been aware of the ways people who start writing really young kind of find themselves maybe in deals or maybe having a little mm -hmm. more influence than they should that's like that's actually something that like th there are even book ideas that run through my head and i'm like you know i gotta i gotta consult ruth and that is like a dream yeah. and it's something i want to do but but there is kind of this sense of me and even people my age who kind of feel that sense of presumptuousness mm -hmm. like because not everyone can be a dante stewart you know what i mean and he's still like, <laughs> right yeah yeah like he is so well read and so well thought out and is so he's gotten to live a life of love in ways that not everyone who is as young as him has necessarily got to figure out. Mm -hmm. And so like, and so you, you kind of were in the oven for about 14 to 20 years with teaching mm -hmm. and your writing was not even, it was unprecedented. So mm -hmm. what, what, what are, what are your thoughts on that with those kind of insecurities? or that's actually a great question and it's really amazing that you're thinking about it that way because it shows a little bit of foresight that i didn't have when i was 22. i think if someone had come to me when i was 22 and been like we'll publish whatever you write i would have been like i don't know what i'm doing but i'm gonna go for it like, <laughs> right right not even gonna think about the consequences so i think your concern about will that box me into a platform or will that bring my words out before I've matured right. and have a well-seasoned view. I think that's amazing that you're thinking that way, but I need you to separate something in your mind right now. And that's writing and publishing. Mm. Don't conflate the two. You actually, if you have a desire and, a, and an, 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 an earnest desire to communicate with words, the sooner you start exercising your gifts and practicing and building your writing muscles, the better. We yeah. look at people who went to the Olympics. We're in the middle of the Winter Olympics. When did they start training? They yeah. always show video of this child when they're three, figure skating around. I'm like, when I was three, I could not walk like that. Right. <laughs> but they didn't say, let's wait till you're 18 mm. to start training, wow. right? Now, I have issues with young children and training and the Olympics. <laughs> but, but setting that aside, let's take the principle you should start writing now. You should start practicing now. Communicate with words now. There is no requirement that you publish yet. Mm. But if you wait until you're ready to publish to learn how to write, that's like building a bridge while trying to walk on the bridge at the same right, time. Right. Why would you do that to yourself? Let's mm. learn how to make bridges first. And then when it's time to walk across the bridge, you're like, no problem. I have done this. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And, or at least I have muscles in place to figure this out. I have you know, yeah, uh, this yeah. isn't the first thing I've ever written. So yeah, I would say don't conflate publishing with writing, but start yeah. working on your gifts and skills. Now read books on writing, uh, talk to other writers, hang out with other writers and practice on your own. You yeah. don't have to let anyone see it yet, but it's going to make, it's going to strengthen your voice. If you can work on finding your voice now. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's really helpful. And an important distinction because um i know like i i started this uh blog when i was like 17 and 18 and it was a great mm. way to just kind of like personally write devotional thoughts and just kind of put it up on my facebook and whatnot and like you know it, it wasn't like too serious of a thing but then after a while because i became so overwhelmed by how little i knew um <laughs> 
the process of writing consistently uh, mm -hmm. rather than just these like inspiration based posts, which are fine, mm -hmm. but are not sustainable. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you for uh, that encouragement. So, um, yeah, I want to ask you, who who were some of your favorite writers growing up, uh, growing <laughs> up and who are they today? If And if there's mm -hmm. some overlap, that's fine as well. So I really have to whittle this down because this could be a whole hour <laughs> right. in itself. But I read, you know, reading, I have always been a huge reader. So when I was a child, we'd go to the library once a week and like check out the max yeah. amount of books that we could. And so when I was young, I loved um, Beverly Cleary okay. and especially her Ramona Quimby series. Oh, okay. She, I didn't know that, that that was the author's name. I have heard of Ramona Quimby. Yeah. So Ramona was this little girl, you know, um, who's eight, nine, 10 years old during the course of the series. And she is so in her own mind, misunderstood by all her friends and family. She always has good intentions. And then she messes everything up and makes everybody <laughs> angry. And then she gets angry. She has so much energy and she's always fighting with people. She's in conflict. I shouldn't say fighting, but she always finds herself in conflict. Mm with the people around her and she doesn't always understand why. And then she gets in trouble, even though she means well in her heart, she has a lot of energy to solve problems, but she solves them the wrong way. Right. I identified with that girl 100%. When I read <laughs> Ramona, you know, there's this scene where she really wants to squeeze all the toothpaste out of the uh, tube and yeah. she knows it's wrong, but she thinks I'll just do a little squeeze and see how <laughs> it feels. And the next thing you know, she has squeezed all of it. And then her mom makes her put it in a baggie and use it like forever. And I was like, this is like, I could follow every impulse that she felt. And I don't know how Beverly Cleary got into the head of little kids so well and expressed mm. kid thoughts and kid ways, but I read them again with my nieces um, in the last few years and they hold up. I was nervous to revisit them right. because I was like, what if I loved them when I was a kid and now I read them and I'm like, okay, little Ruth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I read them and I was like, these hold up. It's not just the nostalgia. This is how kids think. This is how they talk. I mean, they're just so precious and I loved them then. And I still like them now. Um, but, you know, when it comes to favorite authors now, it gets a little trickier because I read so much and I come to authors now when they've written a book or two mm -hmm. and I may love the book, but are they my favorite authors? I don't know. So a couple I've been into lately in the world of fiction. I don't know if you've ever heard of N.K. Jemison, mm -hmm. but she writes speculative fiction. And last year I read this trilogy, um, The Broken Earth. Okay. Um, this is this post-apocalyptic kind of Afro-futuristic world. Yeah. And I was not ready. I picked up the first book in this series at a little free library, just because the cover was neat. You know, right, right. you could talk to me all day about you don't judge a book by its cover. But I saw that and I was like, this looks good. I love speculative right. fiction. I've been meaning to read more Afrofuturism. I'm going to pick this up. Yeah. I started reading it and I was like, this is so unique. Yeah. Um, she uses a blend of third and second person voice, which I was not ready for, right. but it works. And I could tell even from the beginning, she's doing something with this. The, the second person voice means something. There's a mm -hmm. reason it's second person. And so that mystery drew me in and I wound yeah. up reading the whole trilogy and it is so, so good. I've been recommending it left and right. And not many people take me up on it because <laughs> it's speculative fiction and they're so long. Like each right. book looks long, right? And when people ask for book recommendations, they're usually thinking, I don't know what they're thinking I'm going to recommend, but it's not that apparently. So, right, but... right, right. Like <laughs> maybe 
maybe a, <laughs> like a, maybe a mainstream name or something. Well, but Af- in certain circles, she is mainstream. Oh, oh in is certain she? Circles, okay. but I haven't heard well, of her. Well, she's so. had a lot of success um, in the sci-fi, fantasy, speculative fiction okay. um, world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think she's totally worth a try. I mean, her books are in libraries. So if you're not wanting to invest financially, just request it at your library, give it a shot. So she's one who last year just blew me out of the water. Mm. And to think I just picked her book up at a free little free library. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. amazing. So you got Beverly and her name is N.K. Jemison. Jemison, yeah, with Jemison. a J. Okay, Jemison. That's uh, man. Speculative fiction is something I am not uh, well read in. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll have to actually take you up on that and uh, check it out. A lot of the fiction books. So uh, your uh, Ramona book, it actually, are you familiar with Junie B. Jones? Of course. Okay, so I don't know if like it's the exact same thing, but as you were sharing like the conflict Ramona found herself in, I I have no idea how Junie B. Jones books hold up today. I don't know if they were actually good, but um, I grew up like in an Ethiopian household. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. the way uh, discipline would be uh, practiced in our house was very creative. So like if our parents (laughs) were a little frustrated, like we would have to go to the room and sometimes I would have to write like 30 pages of Junie B. Jones. Like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Or or like, yeah. (laughs) And so like, as you share about this young girl who is facing conflict and all of these different things, it reminds me of that. But so you got Beverly and and Kay and with how much you read I know it's like a really unfair question but but it's it's fun to hear um uh, I mean it's it's a reasonable question everybody has favorite writers and storytellers but I very much approach books kind of like think about how you approach food. What's your favorite food? It depends what you're in the mood for, right? right? So you would say to someone, narrow it down to like favorite snacks or favorite meals or favorite junk food or because there's too many kinds of food you love. And that's how I feel about books. Like I have favorite cupcake type reads, but I'm not going to try to compare that to a journalistic narrative nonfiction that blew my mind because that's so substantial, right? So... shared kind of how there were those students you didn't have royalties therefore Mm -hmm. it led you writing this drama and people were like hey why don't you write uh for Mm -hmm. the kids outside of that venue were there other people in your life that were like ruth you should really take up writing and all those things and if so like how did that make you feel and what were some like can like what was some of the tensions you felt with those requests or yeah. It's a good question. Attention is the right word. So yeah, yeah. I, my family has always been very supportive and actually my mom early on thought I should write. And I told her things that, like I told my students, like I, I am not a writer and I don't know how to do that and stuff. But I think things changed for me with the advent of blogging because 
there was an avenue and there were people who were going to read it. And that really made it fun for me. Yeah. The interaction and the relational um, connection that blogging brought, I made friends around the world and was the victim of fun, practical jokes by some of my (laughs) readers, which is another story. Um, But that really taught me that I had a voice that people liked to read. And if I didn't post consistently, people would reach out and say, what's going on in Ruth world? Because I do have a lot of really strange things that happen to me. And then I like to write about them. That's how we got the book Socially Awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I, people started saying, you know, you can write, you should write a book or whatever. But I, I didn't have the time or attention to devote to that when I was teaching full time. I just, it was overwhelming. Um, but when my play started seeing some success, that's when my brother came to me and was like, you need to make a decision. You know, you can keep teaching forever, or you can think I may strategically take a different job for a while so that I can, you know, because, well, that's actually the conversation started with him saying you should quit your job and write. And I'm like, do you know how many years it would take to write a book? And I'm a single woman who supports myself financially. I can't just quit my job and write. It's not like in the movies. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so he, then he's like, well, it's not all or nothing. You could find a different type of employment. (laughs) And so um, that's kind of how I started shifting in that direction. I never dreamed I would coach other writers and authors and have a career in that field. But I just thought I enjoy doing this. I, I don't want to look back when I'm 50 or 60 or 70 and think I really should have tried writing a book, but I was too busy. Yeah. And I do think busy people can write too, (laughs) but I was using it kind of as an out at the time because I was scared and overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm much too busy to do that. But, but my family encouraged me big time. And I have to say my youngest sister, Bethany, uh, has been probably the most willing and supportive partner in my writing that I've had. She's very quiet online. Um, but she has been, um, involved in all of my projects. She'll read many drafts of each thing Mm -hmm. willingly. She critiques them very fairly. She'll encourage, but she'll also say, this is not it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is rare from a family member, family members just, Oh honey, I'm so proud of you. It's so good. Kind of feedback, but yeah. Yeah. Bethany is an Enneagram five and very honest. And so she really has been very encouraging, but also makes me feel like I'm less alone Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the work. And she reads a lot and she knows a lot of things. Um, She has attended actual university and still attends YouTube university about everything you can imagine. She knows a little bit about it. So she'll say, I'm actually not sure that's how it works. You should look up how it really works. (laughs) I hate to hear that from her, but it always makes it better because she keeps me from going off the rails. So I've had a lot of support from my family, my friend community, and then of course, meeting other writers. That's the best support because they know how real it all is. Man, no, that that's really dope. And I'm not going to lie. If I were able to read a hundred plus books a year or 150 plus a year, it would take a lot of humility for me to like, um, you know, share my writing with someone that is so dearly loved. 
and, and mm -hmm. take their encouragements and, and, and their uh, contributions of critique seriously as well. Um, and so, yeah, that I, I just want to commend you for that. It's awesome that you can like work alongside people and understand and give them credit, even if they might not be as prolific as a writer you are. Like, it's like, no, your insights matter. Like, it's not just- Well, yeah, you know, being prolific isn't everything, right? Right, right. You could be prolific. It wouldn't matter if I wrote, <laughs> yeah. You could be prolific and the writing can be terrible and the thoughts right. can be nothing, right? Right, right. <laughs> I need to know, does this matter? Does this hold up? Does this stand up? And I think if you believe theologically that we all need each other, if you don't practice it, you don't believe it. And I believe 100% that none of us are intended to live alone, work alone, think alone. We're weaker when we're alone. God is three in one. He's yeah. Trinity. And we're made in his image, but we're only one, which means we will always lack something unless we're in relationship with others. And so I part, I'm an extrovert, so it helps me to create in relationship with others. Yeah. And I'm a verbal processor. So calling my sister Bethany and saying, I have a problem, let me describe it. And halfway through describing it, I solve it. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> and then I hang up, like she's willing to do that. Mm. Um, and I know that without that, the work would not be as good. And that's part of that is just acknowledging that we all need each other. And to yes. think anything differently is to deny the way we're made. That's a word. No, that's, that's, that's really good. Uh, just, um, yeah, I, I, um, I'm working on a master's right now, part-time and, but I'm hoping to do full-time master's of theology in a year or so. And something I'm really recognizing the importance of is theology. It has to be done in community and it, it, yes. it's gotta be like that with probably anything else too. So I, I love that. I love that, uh, yeah, pro like prolific, being prolific or like being so well received is not necessarily like what sources how you do things to make you do it alone, but you're still inviting people in and they're inviting you. That's dope. Um, yeah. So how about, um, I, I, as I've mentioned so many times, you read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we keep coming back to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. But so, and because reading and writing are highly intertwined. Um, they are. Yeah. That you, you can't have one without the other if you want to do the discipline well, for sure. That's right. Yeah. How, how does uh, comparison with all the mm -hmm. uh, authors you engage with show up Uh yeah, when when you read so much and then you're writing your ideas and thoughts down. And um, yeah, so I have another question after this one, but I want to hear like, how does comparison show up? So I, it has taken me a long time to realize I will never, probably never write the types of books that I love the most. Right. <laughs> I love deep and heavy, introspective writing. I read all kinds of writing. I read comedy. I read rom-coms. I read journalistic nonfiction. I read theology, but the, the deep and heavy and kind of crunchy thinking really gets me. Yeah. But what I write well is comedy. And for a while, I tried to force myself to be a different type of writer than I am, because mm. I thought this is what I've always wanted to write. This is what I like to read. So obviously this must be the way I'm going to write. Right. Then I realized to do that, I had to turn off my natural gifts, which others can't do, right? Mm -hmm. 
and do something that's hard for me. And I'm not really good at Mm -hmm. for what reason, no one's asking me to do that, but me, (laughs) why am I doing this to myself? So that's been a journey of years to realize I'm me. I have my take on life. I have my way of communicating and letting go um, has really brought me to being able to write a book like Socially Awkward, which you have assured me you'll read one day. So you listen to this again after you read it. So Socially Awkward (laughs) is a book that really engages tough topics. So the chapters deal with things like death and sexual abuse and racism Mm -hmm. and um, chronic pain and illness and how we don't want to talk about these things, but we need to, because if we don't talk to each other about them, how are we ever going to grapple with the realities that we're facing? But in between each chapter, I tell a socially awkward story from my own life. Yeah. And that's really where I find I, I can talk about serious things without having denied to deny the type of writer and the type of person that I am. Yeah, And so that's really the book that I feel has the most me voice in it because it has, here's real life. Real life is hard. We want to avoid talking about these things, but we have to. And that's what makes it so awkward. I preface a lot of conversations by saying this is going to be awkward, but we need to talk about it. Um, And then bringing in my natural voice, which is, hey, (laughs) A whole crowd of tourists witnessed me falling off. um, (laughs) Where was it? I don't even think this one made it into the final version of the book because I had too many socially awkward stories and not enough chapters. So we wound up cutting. Right. But um, I fell off Fort McHenry um, where the, where the Francis Scott Key saw the flag and wrote the national (laughs) anthem. So I was there and I fell off this kind of like wall in front of a whole crowd of tourists. And I actually fractured my rib and a toe in the process. I mean, it's a funny story now. It was horrible, but I was like flying through the air and this whole crowd of Spanish speaking tourists came around the corner. And I know this because the friend I was with was Chilean. And she said, as they came around the corner, one of them shouted, that lady is falling in Spanish. (laughs) And I'm like slow motion falling off the fort. Um, And it's so I've had all these things that have happened to me that I'm like, it makes for a funny story. Um, And so we're going to use that as a segue into Let's talk about hard things. It sounds like it doesn't work, but I assure you <laughs> the book works. <laughs> right. No, no. And no, that's and it's got to be so gratifying to be able to like produce a body of work and be like, no, nah, this is it. This is good. Yeah. And this is yeah. and this and this is me. I'm getting to uh, implement all these different disciplines or these different ways of thinking I could. And I still get to bring in these memoir-esque comedic mm-hmm. uh, anecdotes mm-hmm. to to show people like this is where you're best going to engage with me and even though this wasn't the main thing I wanted to write in like capitalizing on it and embracing it it, it, it paid it, off it only took me nine books to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> which which is why we call it a writing process it's right. a process writing isn't an event it's a process that yeah. happens in layers. And this is why I want you to start now, Zuru, mm. because if I had started when I was younger and kind of figured out my voice and my style and my strengths before I started publishing, I think I would have maybe developed a little differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's, 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 that's got to be true. Like, even for me, like, the only reason why I'm starting podcasting so early is because 
I, I love content creation. And so like, by the mm -hmm. time I'm like, if I'm doing it consistently until I'm like 30 or 32, just like the ideas of how many people I could help along the way and how mm -hmm. many networks and stuff I could connect with. And so just believing for myself that that applies to writing as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, like that I can do it. It's, it's, it's it's so tough to mentally conquer because you know like there's there's always words i want to put in and it's like oh i thought this was going to be the right words or right phrase to capture what i wanted to and it's just like <laughs> this is this is trash like this is, <laughs> and just like how discouraging and disappointing but the art of conversation is just like i try to you know uh, so i'm actually interviewing john o next and what? yeah so we're gonna be talking what? to yeah i love him so much <laughs> me too and we're talking about we go on but something i've heard him say on his windows and mirrors podcast with keith uh with their daily bibles reading stuff is that he tries to come up with one illustration every day which is why yeah. this which is why his word pictures are so poignant and for me with conversation i try to ask one question every day like you know what I'm saying and so yeah uh the for writing though I I gotta start I got to <laughs> yeah just here's what you do okay mm -hmm. you get yourself a little cheapy journal and instead of trying to think what am I going to write about today pick an event from that day like something you saw at the store yeah. or something you overheard on the subway and you think I'm going to write that like it's a scene yeah and just yeah. practice writing scenes. That's all you have to do. It's a okay. little vignette. It doesn't have to mean anything. Right. You don't have to find a point. And it, it, it really sharpens your observation. And you get to practice writing dialogue and you get to practice describing like um, I one of the things my sister Bethany helps me with is physical how to describe physical motion. Yeah. And she is very like she inhabits a very physical world. She's an equestrian. She trains horses. She works outside. She right. does MMA and boxing and kickboxing and jujitsu. And so she's very physical. And so I'll just say he kicked it and she'll, you know, say, okay, think about the way the hip lifts and then the mm. knee will do this. And I'm like, it does like, cause I've never made that motion in my life. <laughs> so she, she really helps me with physicality. Yeah. Um, and so practicing thinking, okay, instead of saying he stepped into the subway car, you can think, how could I describe what it actually looked like when he did that? And that's the kind of practice right. that's going to get you to John O level. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that, I, that's a dream. Uh, man, Ruth, I feel like I've bamboozled you into uh, consulting the consultation with me and others. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is uh no, I, I will, I will actually, I'm going to take that seriously. Like uh, writing things as a scene. I've, I've never heard that, but like to describe things, I just finished reading Chian Julie Wong's beautiful country and it's a mm, memoir. It's on my list. How um, is it? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Like I, I, it's just her, her word pictures are breathtaking the way she describes things. And even just like, so she's talking about being an undocumented, um, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, immigrant in New York. And so just as you talk about the way she would see people and run away, even though mm -hmm. whether the fear was uh, warranted or not, mm -hmm. just as she's describing the streets and the cracks in the ground as she's running away or her heart is like uh, just uh, palpitating too much. It's yeah, it's I, I, I read those things and I listen to those things and I, I want I want to craft uh, observational lifestyle like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you'll you'll have to tell me what you think when you uh, uh, read it if if you do because it's it's so good.
Yeah, it's on the list. I got to get it through the library, though, because I blew my book budget already in January for the whole year. For the whole year, I'm done. So don't talk to me. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Um, so here's, um, here's a question I'm really looking forward to asking you is, uh, what, what, what role does your faith in Jesus play in your writing? So early on when I started writing, I wasn't sure what to do with that because I was raised in um, an environment that I have since described as kind of fundamentalist adjacent. Mm -hmm. So I've written about this in a book. Um, my family wouldn't mind my sharing this part of my upbringing, but um, I did go to a fundamental Baptist, like IFB high school oh, um, snap. from fifth grade to 11th grade. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that influence on me when I was young. Um, and then there were other things. We just didn't really have a TV. We didn't really watch TV. We didn't go to movies. Like books were my thing. That's how I kind of engaged with the broader world at a national geographic. And yes. it, was, it was a wonderful childhood. Like I have no complaints. I was very happy. Um, we had a happy home, but it really kind of shaped the way I engaged with storytelling because I grew up mostly from the school, you know, hearing there are good types of stories and bad types of stories. Right. And if you read bad stories, you'll become a bad person. Um, Cause it was almost like Satan would sneak into my right. brain through right. those stories. <laughs> and so I wasn't really sure what to do with my, I loved all kinds of stories and storytelling except horror, which I can't handle. Right. Um, and so I eventually, I wrote a book a few years ago called the cross in the culture. Okay. And in that book, I talk about how I eventually come, came to see that all these different genres, the reason we tell stories to each other is we're trying to explain the world and life and our, um, our understanding of what's going on to each other. And one of the reasons we do that is we're made in the image of a creator and a storyteller. When he revealed himself to us, he did world building, literally built a world. Yeah. He created characters to inhabit that world. And then he interacted with them, not through just proclaiming things, but through relationship and through yeah. storytelling. He gave us a person and a book and a story. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we give to each other in storytelling. We, we give each other um, people, that's characters, and a book, quite literally, and we tell stories to try to make sense of the world. Even people who don't realize they're made in the image of the creator God do that mm -hmm. because it's imprinted on us to do that. And it so is. every genre reveals something about the human heart and what people need and what they fear and what they love. And so you can go through every genre, which is what we do in the cross and the culture and say, why do people watch horror what does it reveal about the human heart? And what does it tell us about um, God and life and spirituality? And yeah. you can do this with historical fiction. Why are we drawn to that? And comedy, you know, wh what place does that have? And every single genre reveals something about us and our desire to connect to a higher power through stories and storytelling. Right. And that really is the role that faith has taken in my reading and writing. I get a lot of questions from you know, rightly so for people saying, why are you reading that book? Yeah. Um, aren't there maybe things of more value or right. um, that has a lot of swearing in it or, you know, right. something like that. And, you know, they're like, why are you giving your time to that? But really, it's not just about the book and the story for me. It's about what it shows about people and how they are and how they think. 
And Mm. the better I can understand people and how they are and how they think, and the more I can communicate with them, the better I'm able to connect with them about what they, what they're missing, what they're lacking, what they need, what they want, what they desire, being able to understand that, and then talk to them about where I have found fulfillment in my faith in those areas. And so that's really how my faith has connected with my reading. And in my writing, I don't preach a lot of sermons. Mm I, I do have written two non, no, excuse me, three nonfiction books where I do, of course, make propositional statements. But what I really want to do is just tell stories about what I've learned right. and how it's helped me connect with God. What I hear centered in all of that is is a heart of empathy, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's this heart of love and it's a heart of empathy based on our storytelling God. Uh, I love mm-hmm. the way you connected uh, the world building, the character, imagery, just like these things we learn in English class, right? And it's like, right. no, like this is this is this is what God does. And when you mm-hmm. think even like about conflict and climax, it's like, man, like how much the incarnation is a motif of the way we live with other people too. Like God yes. has come with us. And so, no, I, I love, um, I love that. One of my favorite authors is Min Jin Lee. Uh, so yes. She, yes, she wrote Pachinko and Free Food for Millionaires. And another book is coming out either this year. Are or you excited year. about the Pachinko movie or are you worried about it? Oh, I didn't even know there was going to be a movie. It's coming out soon. It's coming out very soon. Oh my gosh. Uh, I I will be worried about it if they don't have Mean Jean Lee like at the head of it. Uh, So the the reason why, so I I was a huge Percy Jackson fan growing up. Like (laughs) I lived, I lived Rick (laughs) Ryan. The movie was so bad. Bunk. It was so bad. And Rick, they, they sent him the script before they put it out. And he asked them and begged them to not do it. He asked them and begged them to not do it. And they didn't listen. And now Disney Plus has given him a WandaVision level budget to do a TV show for Percy Jackson that he will be at that of. So if she does, if she's not consulted at all for the Pachinko movie or she's not taken seriously, I'm highly worried. <laughs> I don't know her level of involvement. You know, Alicia would know okay. because Alicia... Um, at least I wish you were here right now. I know you're listening, but <laughs> I do know Lehman Ho is in it. And that's very exciting. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. not the point. Alicia, that's for you as well. <laughs> um, but no, I don't know her level of involvement, but I am a little excited slash nervous about the Pachinko movie because yeah. I did love the book. Part yeah. one a little bit more than part two, but right. so good. But your point was she's one of your favorite writers. Yeah, yeah, because she, so she was on the Disruptors podcast, which is mm. uh, hosted by Nancy Yuan now. She has a conversation with Min Jin Lee on the Disruptors podcast, and she mm. talks about how Min Jin Lee, she actually talks about how she reads the Bible every day. As, and, and she's, it's not always based on like trying to 
get in touch with the faith she grew up with. Obviously, you see in Pachinko how Korean Presbyterianism is crucial to the story of protest and family living and how that relates to their suffering within Japanese occupation, all of that. But but she 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 reads the Bible and she sees these themes of faith and love mm-hmm. that she can't unsee in the world that we have mm. today. Mm. And and so yeah, so as you're talking about this, I'm 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 thinking about her. And it, it doesn't always have to be in these explicit propositional statements that say Jesus is God or uh, your t- your sins have been uh, covered by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. Like show us, you know what I'm saying and. And, and you, there are people, many people of faith writing in ways that are not necessarily preaching sermons, but telling That's stories. That's right. Yeah. You want to talk about character development in scripture. One of the hugest leaps that I think gets overlooked while everyone's looking at Paul right, right. Um, is you look at when we meet James and John, the sons of thunder, mm-hmm. wanting to call down fire and brimstone, wanting to sit on the left hand and the right hand, yeah. you know, and then you read first, second and third John and John, his voice and his tone mm-hmm. when he says, my dearly beloved children, yeah. I hope you're walking in love. I pray that you love one another in the faith. I'm like, you could not ask for a bigger change in character development. (laughs) Yeah. Then when we first meet James and John, and when we hear from John toward the end of his life, I think, I mean, I don't hear that brought out very much in the circles where I travel, but I hear a lot about Paul changing from, you know, wanting to breathing out threatenings and slaughter to suddenly preaching, which is another huge, you know, only God could do that. But I look at John and I think it's not just the proposition propositional statements I read in scripture It's watching the patterns of lives changes. They encounter Christ. Oh my gosh. I love that. But, um, all right. I have w- a, a, one more question for you. If that's, right. Just, we can make it quick, yeah. but, um, what, what advice would you give to fellow pilgrims who don't have a community of writers around them to help them cultivate their ideas and their writing voice? Mm, that's a wonderful question. And I want to go back to a note we've discussed tonight, but I want to say it explicitly again. The writing cycle has to start somewhere. And so if you're thinking of yourself, I'm not writing a book because I'm not a writer, you know, how do you think that's going to change? Think about all the things that have to happen before a person's first book comes out. Let's think of someone who everyone will know their name. So let's go to Stephen King, right? Whether you've read Stephen King or not, you know who Stephen King is. Do you know what he was doing before he wrote Carrie? No. He writing. wasn't a writer, was he? Oh. Yeah. Well, he was obviously writing. Right, right, right. But I don't <laughs> okay. know what he was doing occupationally right. or, yeah. He, he worked in a factory, right? Mm. So he, you have to, in order to become a, a, a recognized author, let's put it that way. Yeah. You, you have to do the writing first. Where are you going to get the wherewithal to do that if you don't think of yourself as a writer? Mm. So that, you have to flip a switch in your head at some point where you think I am a writer working on my craft. You don't even have to think about the first book yet, but if Mm -hmm. you devote yourself to the craft and say, I am going to develop, I am going to practice, I'm going to write scenes in my notebook, or I'm going to communicate um, in the written word because this matters and I have a goal one day of doing this publicly, you will start thinking of your the first, you know, big idea that you have, then you don't have to battle. Well, who am I? That kind of feeling like you're an imposter. 
Um, you're not. Anyone can start this. And we all start at different places. There's natural gifts. There's natural abilities that some seem to have more of than others. I'm not saying everyone starts at the same place right, with this. Right, but what right, I'm right. saying is I have seen people who are less naturally gifted who go farther because they commit themselves to it than some people who are naturally gifted who do nothing or who do it in fits and starts because it's too hard. And so they never really do anything with it. I mean, we all went to people with high school who had all kinds of promise. Maybe they were great singers or they were natural athletes who just didn't devote themselves to it for one reason or another. That's fine. They have, yeah. they don't have to, but we're not going to see them at the Super Bowl as a performer <laughs> or a player. Right, right. They don't commit themselves to it. And then you see people who may have less natural ability who just go for it and they have charisma and they have belief in themselves and they go further. And yeah. some people are like, what's he doing on the radio? His voice isn't even that good. I'm like, well, he went for it, right? right? So I think you have to make the decision in your head. I am a writer mm -hmm. and I'm going to work on that. I'm going to commit myself to the craft long-term. I'm going to grow. I'm going to devote myself to it. And then one day I'm going to write publicly. And I would say, do get in a community of creative thinkers. They don't have to be writers, but right, the right. more you can interact with people who make something out of nothing, which is another way we're made in the image of God. When you create a song out of nothing, it's yeah. the closest you're going to get to ex nihilo. I ex mean, you didn't create language. You didn't create language. You didn't create musical right. notes, but that song literally existed nowhere before you wrote it. Yeah, and so yeah. that's when I do things like that, I think this is one of the closest ways that I can commune with my creator is when mm -hmm. I create something that never existed before. And that would not exist without me doing this. And right. So I think that you have to flip that switch and then you have to be around other people who care about that so that when you need somebody to throw ideas off of, it's not just your aunt, you know, your aunt Sally or your uncle James or whoever, who, right. who may just tell you, oh, it's amazing, sweetie, you know, uh, which is right. not helpful or just be like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time on this. You know, we've all got the relative <laughs> who's going to tell us that what you think you're going to be the next. TV President. producer, go get a job. You know, you're always going to get, you're always going to get that kind of advice, which neither extreme is helpful. So right. when you're around other people who are going for it and who will be willing to encourage you, but also hold you back when it's not quite there yet. Right. You know, I have people in my community who will say, this is not there, you know, right. and I'm one of those, I'm an overshare. I share too soon. Mm. I'll share first drafts, you know, so I need <laughs> someone to be like that. This isn't it. You know, mm. and then other people need someone to be like, you could fiddle with it forever. It's good. Put it out there. Right. right, right. So your community will kind of save you from both of those extremes of either hiding with your work forever and never showing it to anybody or um, just putting everything on YouTube the minute you think of it. Right, you know? right. <laughs> we need a community to hold us back from that. So get around people who care. And if you don't have people in your area, I get it. I live on the side of a mountain. There's not a stoplight <laughs> in my town. I can, I connect with people uh, purposely online. Um, and we're, we're building a network and a community of writers and faith-based creatives that build a better yeah. us through our literary services department. We have workshops, we have one-on-one -on -one coaching, we have programs that allow you to meet other writers and get in fellowship with them. And Twitter's been life-giving to me yeah. in that regard. You talk about Twitter. I have met so many writers on there and that's been wonderful for me as someone who did not grow up in spaces where there was a lot of writing and, right, you know, right. creative engagement. It was just wonderful to reach out and realize, oh, there's someone reaching back. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 
Oh man, just as I see your passion for life and for writing and yeah. getting people in touch with uh, beauty and, and, and uh, growing in their gifts and not having mm. to do it alone because yes. it's based in a fundamental conviction that God has created us this way and it's purposeful. And yes. um, through all the grief, through all the hardships, through all the disappointments within our pilgrimage, uh, we, we can be sustained by God and by one another and we can grow creatively and, yes. and, 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 in seeing kind of just in uh, following you on Twitter and just getting to talk with you. I've had so much fun in this conversation. <laughs> like I, I usually don't go off script, but there's just so much, there's just so much I wanted to pick your brain about in this uh, short amount of time. But, uh, I, I really am thankful for you coming on for blessing us with your wisdom and this is delightful you give me a microphone and say talk about books you think i'm gonna say no to that <laughs> man i mean you never know when like yeah. a rando online it's like who is this punk <laughs> no you're not a rando this has been so nice and this doesn't have to be the last time we talk yeah, right. we could have a second conversation yeah um or you could come by for an actual consultation Absolutely. Someday where I give you more advice. I've been holding myself back because this is public. Um. <laughs> no, I would, I would love to. I think the only reason why I didn't join your, um, uh, the, the, the writing communities with the nonfiction mm -hmm. and fiction route is because publishing does seem to be like one of the things that are being pursued. So if, if, yeah. if we're building if, something for you. Okay. We're doing something for people oh like you. Oh my it's, gosh. It's dropping later this spring. I have not talked about it publicly until this moment. So we're building something hey. for people like you. Let's go. <laughs> no. I'm going to call you up when it's ready. Please, please. <laughs> yeah. But um, again, uh, to, to all the fellow pilgrims listening to this, may it encourage you. And uh, here's to painting a canvas of hope and light and love in the world. Mm -hmm.